we've been talking about faith, and we're going to continue to talk about faith. The Bible tells us that we're saved by faith. It tells us that we have to continue in faith. The Bible says, we've already looked at this, without faith it's impossible to please God, because in order to do what it is that pleases God, you have to have faith, because in order to please Him, you have to come to Him. To come to Him, you must believe two things, that He is and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Let's look, actually, if you found Hebrews chapter 11, then we're going to go back a couple of verses in chapter 10. And we're going to start in verse 35, because this is a continuation of the same thought. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. We've talked about that before. That tells me you already have something, and the enemy's trying to get you to put it down, to get rid of it. Do not cast away your confidence, for it has a great reward. Attached to your confidence is a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just, those who have been made just or righteous in God's eyes, shall live by faith. So we're saved by faith, but then we must continue to live or live in that faith. But if anyone draws back, this is God talking, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders, that's the people he's going to talk about a little later in this chapter, by the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things that are seen are not made of things... By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than through which he obtained the witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, that though he being, de- though he being dead, st- still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken up, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Wouldn't you like to have that testimony? That you please God? Well, you can. Verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, it's not faith that pleases him. Faith is what allows you to do what pleases him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that your word gives us instruction and inspiration. We thank you that in your word you speak to us and you would reveal yourself to us and you reveal who you've made us to be, and you reveal how we can come to you and become close to you. And now we ask you by your precious Holy Spirit that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would see again the hope of your calling. Your word says, eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men. All that God has prepared for those who love him, but you reveal them to us by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, reveal to us tonight the things that we need to see And we thank you in advance for that. We rest in you and trust in you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's go back to verse 1 here because we've talked about this and then we'll go ahead to where we left off last week. Verse 1 tells us really what faith is. It's a definition of faith. I've heard people say, well, it's not, but it is. If you look in the Greek language, the Greek language, the order of the words in the original language, the Greek, is significant. And the first word in the Greek of verse 1 in the Greek 
is the verb is, which tells us that the writer is defining faith. And what he's telling us is faith is the substance, the tangibility of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there's two words in there he's talking about that give us an insight. He's saying that he's talking about, we're talking about things that are hoped for. In Romans chapter 8, we've looked at it before, it says that if you only hope for things that you can't, that your senses don't tell you that you have. You don't have to hope that there's going to be a blue chair for you to sit in tonight. You know there's a blue chair because you're sitting in it, so you don't have to hope for it because you can see it. So you only hope for things that your senses don't tell you that are real yet. So hope looks like it's in the future. And understand that the Greek word hope means a confident expectation. It doesn't mean, oh, I hope so, maybe it's going to happen. It means I've got confidence that it's there, even though my senses don't, can't detect it yet. I know it's mine, even though I can't see it yet. So faith is what allows us to have that kind of hope for things that we can't see yet, that our senses can't detect. And it gives, it's the substance of those things, and it's the evidence of things not seen, which refers to things our senses can't detect. And so it gives hope for and it gives substance to things that our senses cannot detect. And we've talked about why that's important because there are two realms of existence that the Bible refers to. There's the natural material realm. That's the realm that we're so used to living in. It's the realm that our body consists of. It's the realm that our five senses can detect. So that chair that you're sitting in is part of the natural realm. The, 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 the feelings that your body are telling you, the sense of well-being that you may have right now, that you feel strong and you feel healthy, that's your physical senses communicating information to your mind that everything's fine. On the other hand, some of you may have pain in your body right now, and that pain's communicating something to your mind, and your mind's interpreting what that means, so that may be sending a message to you that there's something wrong or you're some disease, some disease. I don't mean disease, but you're just not comfortable tonight. That's all information that's coming to you out of this natural realm. And that's the realm that we're most used to. Most used to. So when you drove your car here tonight, you operated by that natural realm. And it's a good thing because that's how you got here safely. Don't drive by faith. Drive by sight. So there's some things we need to use those natural senses for. But it, when it comes to understanding God and the things of God and who God is, we have to recognize that God, the Bible says in Romans, in John chapter 4, God is a spirit. And those who worship Him must worship, therefore, as a result of that, in spirit and in truth. So because God is a spirit and God is from that other realm that, that we do not detect with our senses because it's not natural to our senses, that realm is very real. In fact, it's more real than this realm because this realm has a beginning and it will have an end. That realm is eternal. But, but when you are born again, the spirit that comes into you that makes you alive unto God comes from God. So that spirit man on the inside of you is from that realm. Your real nature, who you really are, is a being that comes out of that realm and is of that realm. So you are really a two-part being in one sense. Part of you is from that realm and part of you is from this natural material realm. And, and, so, and God designed it that way. 
But that means we need to learn how to operate in communion with that other realm because that's the real realm. That's the realm where God exists. That's the realm where God's answers are. That's the realm where God's power is. That's the realm where God's provision for you is. In fact, everything that God has for you already exists in that realm. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Eye has not seen, and ear has not heard all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Not all that God will prepare. Let's go there. Let's go. This is a Bible study. We can look in the Bible, can't we? I don't have any notes, so we don't have to stick to something. Don't get nervous. We'll finish on time. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now he's been talking about wisdom. He's been talking about the wisdom of this age. We have more wisdom in the world today, more knowledge, more information than man's ever had before, and we're in worse shape just about than we've ever been before, certainly in my lifetime. So all the knowledge that the world has hasn't gained anything. And what chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 says is man by his very best knowledge cannot come to know God. So God reveals himself through a wisdom that the world looks down on, which is the cross. The cross doesn't make any sense to the world. Somebody that died 2,000 years ago, how can that man change my life? He died. Yes, they say he was raised from the dead. But Paul says it's the power of God unto salvation. So Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about the wisdom of the world. The, the Christ to, the, to, the, to some of the world, to the Greeks, to the intellectuals who were the Greeks of the world today, it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense. But the Bible says God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things to confound the strong, and the things that are not really don't amount to anything to confound those things that are. That's why you and I are all here tonight. Because <laughs> he chose the weak things, the things that aren't so smart, and the things that aren't so strong, and the things that... So if you have a poor self-image, that qualifies you for God to do something with you. Because I know some people that need to have a poor self-image. <laughs> They think too highly of themselves, and they get in God's way. Now, the Bible says not to think more highly of yourself than you ought, which implies you shouldn't think more lowly of yourself than yourself. But our self-image should come from God, not from any great accomplishment I am or what people think of you. Understand this. Nobody has the right or the power to define you. Only the one who made you. Your parents don't have that right. Your spouse doesn't have that right. Your boss doesn't have that right, even if you work here. <laughs> to define who you are. Only God has the right to define who you are. Even you don't have that right. It's the one who made you. And then Paul says, but he, but he says, verse 6, However, we do speak a wisdom among those who mature, yet not the wisdom of this age nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So when you read all the pundits and you see all these experts on CNN and, you know, and Fox News and all these things, all these, it, this is the age of experts. I'd better not get off on this too far. But when all they've got to do is put experts on there, that means there's not enough news to report. 
I mean, think about it. They're called news programs. News means information that's new, that you haven't heard before. And if they have to say it over and 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 over again, it's no longer news. And so what they've got to do, these are 24-hour news channels, they have to fill up the time with something. So they get all these experts on. And I would say, maybe it's my legal background, because one of the things you have to do, I better not get off on this too far. One of the things we have to do as a lawyer for a trial is before you put an expert on the stand, you had to qualify them to the judge as to why they were qualified to testify as an expert. Just because they said they were, just because they had a badge that said expert, didn't make them one. The judge wanted to know, why should I let you speak as an expert witness? Tars asked the question, what makes that person an expert? And then the wonderful thing is you get experts on there who disagree. So their expertise doesn't create certainty. We get overly impressed with people's education and overly impressed with people's expertise and their pedigree and all that stuff. God's not impressed with it. Just listen sometimes. Most of it's so much just talk. Just talk. I don't know how I got off on that. Oh, I know. The wisdom of this age. Because verse 6 says, and this is how God looks at it. Yet not the wisdom of this age nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. They're not there yet, but that's where they're going. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they'd known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard. Now stop there a second. What organs of your bo- organ of your body do you use to see? Your eyes. So what he's talking about here is your physical eyes have not seen what I'm about to talk about. And your physical ears have not heard what I'm about to talk about. In other words, your senses, your natural senses have not yet detected what I'm talking about, about to talk about, which tells me that that's not in this realm yet. Are you following me? So I'm talking, Paul's saying, I'm talking about something that doesn't exist in this realm yet. Nor have it entered into the hearts of man. And what's he talking about? The things which, the things, the things, not the ideas or the concepts, the things which God, look at your Bible, has. Past tense, prepared for those who love him. So what he's saying here is your eyes haven't yet seen these things. And your ears haven't yet heard them yet. Nor has it entered into your heart what I'm talking about. And what I'm talking about is the things that God has already prepared for those who love him. How many of you love him? Then he's talking about you. 
So Paul's saying, he's talking about the wisdom, not of this world, but the wisdom of God. And he said, there's things God has, has already, past tense, prepared for you, stored up for you. But you don't know they're yours yet because your eyes haven't seen them and your ears haven't heard them yet. And as a result, it hasn't even entered into your heart that they're already yours. But do they exist? Yeah, because Paul says they've been waiting for you. See, we have this idea that when a problem comes up in our life or a need comes up in our life, that we have to go tell God about it, which we do. We need to go make a request for Him because the Bible says so. But you know when you go tell God about your problem, is not when He found out about it. When you go pour your heart out and say, God, I'm in trouble. If we don't get so much money by this end of this week, you know, we're going to love it. I've been there. I've said those words. God's not saying, oh, my goodness. I didn't realize that. What are we going to do? He knew about it before you were born. He knew every need. Let's look and keep your finger here. And let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 7. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the, Hebrews, as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard. Why? Because of their many words. Do not be like them. Look at this. For your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. He knows what you need before you come to Him. But He needs you to come and ask Him. So when you come and ask him, and this is how we tend to think, now God's got to decide whether he's going to grant that request. And suppose he decides to grant it, now he's got to go figure some way to bring that into your life. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that he's already prepared everything you need before you asked him. Now let me ask you a question. If he's already prepared it, before you ask him, is it his will that you have it? Because yes. he's the one that's prepared it for you. He didn't prepare so you can't have it. He's not dangling in this, see what I have for you, but you can't have it. We know that because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talking about the Father says, he's not like human fathers. And even a human father, he says, if you come, a, a son comes and asks his father for a loaf of bread, he's not going to trick him and give him a stone. Or if he comes and asks for a fish, that father's not going to play games with him and give him a serpent. And if you, who aren't that good as fathers, know how to give good gifts to your sons, how much more will your father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And he already knows what you need. Before you ask. And Romans 8.32 says, And he who spared not his own son, 
but delivered him up for us all. In other words, if he gave his own son's life for you, how will he also not, for, together with him, freely give us everything else he has? God's not holding back. But the problem is, our eye hasn't seen it. And our ear hasn't heard it. Therefore, because of that, it hasn't yet entered into our heart what God has for us. And the problem is, most of us spent most of our life walking by what our eyes see and what our ears hear. We live in a realm where you determine what's real and what's not real by what you can see and what you can hear. And that's fine, again, for driving your car. You go to pull out on the highway on 195 tonight, and there's an eight, your eyes tell you there's an 18-wheeler bearing down on you. You better believe your eyes. I believe there's no 18-wheeler. I believe there's... You'll find out there was an 18-wheeler coming down on you. But when it comes to the things of God and of the kingdom of God, well, let's go to... We've got to finish reading here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For eyes not seen and ears not heard, nor is it entered the hearts of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Those two verses tell me that one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to search down deep into God the Father's heart to find, He's on assignment, to find everything that's in God's heart to give to you. That's what it says. Isn't that what that says? I'm going to read it again. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, even the deep things of God. What man knows the things of man except the spirit of the man that's in him? In other words, no one can know the depths of a man's heart better than his own spirit can. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. In other words, the depths of what's down in his heart. I get The picture I get from this is <laughs> our, our granddaughter is a specialist at eating ice cream. That's her, that's her favorite thing to do, and that's her grandmother's favorite thing to take her out and do. And so... When, when my wife picks her up sometime from school here, she'll say, you know, can we go to Friendly's? And you have not because you ask not. <laughs> and so she'll take, and she, I've watched, it, it's a science to watch her. When she's done, they almost don't need to wash the bowl. Because not only, she, you know, my grandson goes, gets all over his face and, you know, there's stuff left at the bottom. There's nothing left when she's done. She gets the ice cream, she gets the sauce, and she takes that spoon, and she just with scientific precision is she... Now listen to me. See, she's searching all the depths of that bowl to make sure she's gotten everything out that's inside that's good. That's the picture I get here. The Spirit of God is searching down deep in God's heart for everything that God has prepared for you. And He reveals, they're revealed to us 
by the Spirit who's searching them out. You say, well, how come I don't see them? Good question. Turn with me. I dropped something here. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So what we've seen is everything we need exists already. So you don't have to talk God into it. What we'll find out is God's been trying to talk you into receiving it. It already exists. It isn't form. He doesn't form it when you ask Him. He's been waiting for you to ask Him because He already knew what you needed before you came to Him and already had made provision for it. Now, Paul's been talking in here about some of the things that he's gone through. And this is where we were last week, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. For even though our outer man is perishing... Now, let's stop a second. Let's get this exercise down. What realm of these two realms is your outer man from? The natural material realm. How do I know that? Because I can touch it. I can, you can see it. If you got close enough, you can smell it. I can taste it. So I know that this body, this outer man, is from this material, natural realm. That's why the Bible says it came out of dust when God formed it out of the dust of the earth, and it will return back to dust. So Paul says here, Therefore we do not lose heart, for though our outer man is perishing, getting older, yet the inner man, now which realm is that from? That's your spirit realm. Spirit man, that gives you a clue. That man, that part of you is from the spirit realm. So though the outer man, this natural man that we're so used to seeing, that part of you is, 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 is in the process of, of getting older and decaying. The inner man, the spirit part of you, is being renewed day by day. And therefore, see, this was Paul's perspective. Paul walked with his focus on the spirit realm more than his focus on the natural material realm. He walked with his eyes more focused on the spirit realm than on the natural material realm. And he gauged things by the spirit realm and not by the natural realm. He evaluated what he was going through. That's all he's talking about the first part of this chapter. He went through some very challenging times and very difficult times. We know from some of the things in, in the book of Acts that he was arrested. At one point he goes into one city and he's stoned for preaching the gospel. They threw rock. They take him outside the city and they threw rocks at him and they left him under a pile of rocks thinking he was dead. Some theologians think he was dead and that he was raised up, but he was close enough that they thought he was dead. And the disciples gathered around him. He gets up, brushes the rocks off, and goes back in. What would drive a man to do that? His perspective was not, I mean, most of us would say, God, I tried, that's it, I give my best. You know, let them all go to hell. Literally. <laughs> I mean, literally, not a swearing, but let them all go. I don't care. I tried. But Paul was on assignment. And nothing stopped in Philippi. He's preaching. A young girl's following him around. And she annoys him. And she's saying things, Oh, listen to this man. He's come from God. And finally he's at it with her. 
So he cast the devil, the demon out of her. Well, those merchants were using the demon in her to, to, to predict things in people's lives and making money off. Now that the demon's gone, they can't make a profit off of her anymore. So now they create a riot. Paul's in Silas are thrown in jail. And at midnight, they're singing praises to God. And I've talked to you about this before. Their jail was not like the jails we have today. Steve Boulay back there and some others in church go into a prison regularly every week and minister to people in prison. But our government gives them rights. They didn't have any rights back there. And it was the inner prison he was in that was carved out of rocks. There were no lights because Paul had to ask for a light to see what was going on when the prison was shaken. And at midnight, the darkest hour, they're singing praises unto God. What would, what would do that? Because Paul's perspective was not, oh, what's, look what's happening to me. Oh, look where we are. His whole eyes are on just what he's saying. He's saying this moment, to look at the next verse. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Read some of those light afflictions. And they lasted years. But compared to eternity, well, let's go on and read what he has to say. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice the comparison, the contrast here. He's talking about this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal, long, forever weight, substance of glory. And here's how we could do this. Verse 18. While we look not at the things that are seen. And what are the things that are seen? That's the stuff of this natural material realm. We don't look at. Does that mean he was ignorant of them? No. But, he, when, but it says, while I look not, what he's saying is I don't pay attention to it. I don't judge things based on it. I don't evaluate what's going on based on what I can see with my natural senses. I don't, I don't evaluate where I am with God. I don't evaluate whether God loves me. See, part of the natural material realm is also our emotional realm. It's our feelings. I had such a wonderful time with God. I felt His presence today. And that's a wonderful. But what happens if you get up tomorrow and you don't feel His presence? Does that mean God wasn't there then? Not according to God's word. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He doesn't say, I'll never, you'll, never not, you'll, never, you'll always have feelings of my presence. In fact, the Bible says very little about your feelings. It says a whole lot about his promises and believing his promises. And we've got a church in the United States today that is so weak, so weak spiritually, so carnal spiritually because we're led so much by, we evaluate things so much by our senses. We evaluate where we are by our senses. We evaluate where the, everything is by our We evaluate what's going to happen by our senses, by what the news tells us is going to happen. But Paul, who learned to be victorious, and by victorious he means accomplishing God's will and not allowing the enemy or any obstacle to stop him. That's ultimately what success is. It's fulfilling all that God has called you to do and not allowing circumstances and people or situations to stop you or hinder you. 
And in order to do that, there's no other way you can do that unless you learn to walk by faith. Because otherwise, you're going to walk by your senses. And your senses will tell you where you are and what's going to happen, what you can do and what you can't do. Paul says, while we look not, or we walk or pay attention to or evaluate things, not based on what our senses tell us, but at the things which are not seen, which is the other realm, the spirit realm. For the things that are seen that our senses can detect us are temporal or temporary. But the things which are not seen, the spirit realm, is eternal. Now, verse chapter 5 is a continuation of the same letter. For we know that if our earthly house, talking about his body, this tent, now notice he uses tent as as a model, as a symbol. If this earthly body, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. Notice the contrast between a tent and a building. So by comparison, Paul's referring to this body as a tent. How many of you have ever gone camping? I remember as a boy, I, I, I served my time camping as a kid. Some of you love it, and that's wonderful. My idea of roughing it is if I have to stay at a, at a, at a, at a well, I won't tell you, you know, a, a, a discount hotel. That's roughing it. For, I did it, okay? We had a place in the woods. I, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. But I remember as a, as a young Boy Scout, uh, one of the things that they would do to kind of initiate you, we had a camp out one night, and it was actually going to some property we had, way out in the woods. And we <laughs> they were merciless to us, tenderfoots. And, and it was rainy. So they'd help us set the tent up because we couldn't set it up. And these older, more mature scouts would get into these tents, which were like a, um, a cheesecloth. It was, it was, I don't know if they use these kind of tents anymore. Probably not. But it had a coating on it. And the one thing you were never to do was to rub it. So they would come in your tent and help you. While they're doing that, they're rubbing their back up against the, the roof of the tent. And it's pouring rain. And they go to bed in their nice dry tent. We go to sleep and the rain starts dripping through on us. It wasn't that solid. If it blew hard, it could have blown down. In fact, some of them did fall down. So although a tent was a form of shelter, it wasn't very strong, it wasn't very secure, and it was temporary because we took them down at the end of the camping uh, outing. But a house implies something that's substantial, that can stand against the rain. So if you rub your back, now I know we've had some challenges lately, but if you rub your back up against the roof in my attic, it's not going to cause it to leak. If the wind blows against it, it's not going to knock it down. In fact, my grandfather had a house. He built a house on the Jersey Shore right on the be- by the beach, next to the beach. And back in the hurricane, I think it was 54, I was there as a kid and woke up in November and there was a surprise hurricane because they didn't have all the early warning things we have now. And my grandfather had taken the advice of the contractor and, of course, it's built on sand. And he had taken railroad pilings and had them driven down into the sand. And then he had the foundation of the building bolted to those pilings. I woke up that morning and heard water lapping around the house. And we looked outside and the ocean was literally around the house. And I watched as the houses to the south and the houses to the north 
were picked up and taken out to sea. And we sat there safe and secure because the house was solidly rooted in the ground. Solidly. And Paul is using a contrast here between a tent which is temporary and provides some kind of temporary shelter to you and then a house. So what he's saying is, we know that, that if this... So he's saying basically this earthly body compared to the home that God has for you is like a flimsy tent. And we worry so much about it. Yeah. It's just a flimsy... It's a temporary dwelling while you're here. Our earthly tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, in this tent... We groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed we've been clothed, then we shall not be found naked. For for we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but rather clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee that that's real. For so we were always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And look at verse 7. That's where I wanted to get to. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We're very confident and well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. When the Bible talks about walking, it's not simply talking about putting one foot in front of the other but it's talking about how we conduct our life. So Paul is saying, this is the secret that I've learned to being successful for Christ. This is the secret secret I've learned for not fainting or falling back or pulling back because we read at the beginning that God says, I take no pleasure in you if you pull back. That's why you need to understand what faith is so that we can walk by faith. And walking by faith means that I've learned to live my life judging things and evaluating things not by what my senses are telling me but by what God's Word says. I'll leave you with a story as an example. And we're going to go on and and break this down and and teach you the the, the different elements of faith so that you can see how, how it operates and how to develop it. We're going to look at different aspects of it. But I want to, and I may share this story with you again. Back when we were in Bible school, I remember we had come home for Christmas time to visit relatives and some friends. And uh, so we come home for about two weeks. And the the school we were at at the time had a very strict policy about not skipping classes. And and, um, uh, we had, uh, 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 we had, uh, my wife had, we had the, the twins then. And we had two babies. We had two older children and then two babies who were in strollers, twins in strollers. And back then they didn't have the fancy twin strollers. We had to make them by taking the, those umbrella things and hooking them together. <clears throat> and so we were visiting friends in the middle of, of uh, Massachusetts and we had to catch a plane at Logan Airport. And I have to be in class the next morning. If I'm not in that class, then that's going to deduct my grade. And so, you know, we weren't thinking. We just, you know, forgot what that it was the first. It was the first day after New Year's, 
So we arrive at Logan Airport. Of course, they didn't have all the security stuff we have now. And arrive, and we can't even get near the door. The cars are lined up dropping people off, and there's a sea of people out there. And we have less than an hour to catch our flight. We have all these suitcases, and I got four kids and a wife. And my mind, listen to me, I look at the circumstances. And see, understand this. Your eyes communicate facts to your brain. My eyes told me there are a lot of people up there ahead of you in line, and you got less than an hour to get on the plane. My eyes tell me I've got four kids. That means they don't run fast, especially when two of them are in strollers. And we got all these suitcases. That's what my eyes tell me. But my mind takes that information and now interprets it to send a message to me. For instance, if you get a pain in your body, all, you're, all you know is you got a pain in your elbow. You don't know what that means, but your mind instinctively takes that information and tries to interpret to you what it means. Because our minds are designed in such a way that we try to take whatever data we have and form meaning. Remember as a kid, these books that had connect the dots? So you have part of a picture in there and you go, one, two, three, four, five. You know, six, seven, hopefully we can count higher than that. And we get around, you know, 23 and 24. Oh, it was a duck. All right? So our mind tries to connect the dots. All we have are dots, information that's come into our brain. But our minds try to create a picture out of that and so interpret what it means. And here's the issue. That's fine when it comes to driving your car. But I'm in a situation now, and all the dots, my brain is connected to them me saying, no way, John, are you making that plane. Not only are you not making that plane, but you won't get out of here today which means you're going to miss the class tomorrow, which means your grade is going to be deducted or lowered. And I was straight A's, so that was big to me. I got a choice to make. I can try to kick my mind in gear and figure out what I can do about that. But it didn't take a rocket scientist to look at this and say, it's hopeless. And those messages were coming to my brain. It's hopeless. Just quit, John. Already make plans to get the people back here who just dropped you off and go back to their house because you're not getting out of here today. I mean, there are people screaming and yelling and there's a mass chaos out there. But I'm in Bible school at a faith school. So I got a choice to make. I say, well, you know, I might as well do this. This is a good place as any to do it. So I just pulled aside. I didn't, make, didn't get down on my knees or do anything fancy. I just said, God, I'm in trouble here. I didn't plan to get here this... I didn't know. I just wasn't thinking. We got here when we normally have got here, and there's just a sea of people here. In the natural, there's no way we can make that plane. But you sent us to this school. You want me to be in class tomorrow? I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. It's beyond me. It's your problem. I just put it into your hands. I'm asking you to find some way for us to get back to school on time. I don't care how you do it. It's up to you. If you pick us up and carry us there, that's fine with me. I just want to get there so that I can be in class tomorrow. I no sooner finished... I didn't say it out loud. I just said it with myself. I know, And I let it go. I was at peace. I wasn't getting frantic. 
I just let it go. It's now God's problem. See, the senses told me there's no way. But I'm choosing now, instead of to go by what my senses tell me, to go by what the Word says. So I turned to God and I said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm asking you to make some arrangements so we get there. I know sooner, I'm not kidding you, finished saying that within myself, I heard a voice behind me say, is there anyone who wants to go in the St. Louis flight because we make a connection to St. Louis? I turned around. I don't know where this lady came from, but she was a representative of the airlines out in the middle of all these people saying, is there somebody who's going to catch the St. Louis flight? I said, we are. We were the only people. She said, you come with me. We picked up all our things, had the stroller. People parted for us. And she walked us up to the gate. We got on the plane and sat down. I didn't break a sweat. And we sat down and buckled in. The kids were all set. And we waited before they closed the door. We made it in plenty of time. Now, the John I've known <laughs> would have been steaming, frustrated, upset, wanted to yell at everybody, how are we going to... And I'd probably still be sitting there. I had a choice to make. I could either handle this based on what I saw, or I could turn to God and say, God, I'm calling upon you to provide a way out for them. I don't know how you're going to see. How he does, it's up to him. I learned this a long time ago. When I figured out one way it can happen, I've just eliminated one possibility he'll use. He's not going to use some means that I thought of. You let it go to him and say, I don't know how you're going to do it. It's in your hands. And the evidence of it, we'll see this later on, is I rested. I don't know how you're going to do this. I'm just expecting something to happen. And this voice from behind me, and we were on the plane with plenty of time. Luggage was on there. And we made it with no sweat. See, remember who God is and what he can do. When I said he could pick us up and carry us, he could have done that. And if he wanted to do it that way. But he had another way to do it. But the key is what are you walking by? What are you evaluating the situations in your life by? Are you evaluating them by what your senses tell you? by what's possible, by what your senses take. But it's not possible. Yeah, but God's a God of the impossibility. Amen. Yeah, but you don't know I don't deserve. It's nothing based on what you deserve. It's based on what God's like. Jesus didn't say, have faith in what you've done for God. He says, have faith in God. And in order to fulfill what God's called us to do, we have to. There's no alternative. We have to learn to walk by faith, not by what our natural senses tell us. Because we're living in a world that's going to tell you you can't, you won't make it. It's impossible. What are you? It's hopeless. But we have a God that will do what he said he'll do if you let him have a chance at it. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men. All that God... See, God had an answer for me 
already waiting. That person was already assigned to do this. And when I trusted God, it gave that God a chance to use that person to do it. How many situations have we been in our lives that didn't turn out the way we wanted to turn out, and yet God had an answer waiting? Someone assigned, something assigned to bring your answer or your deliverance, and you, God never got to use them because you never gave Him a chance because you figured it out yourself instead of trusting Him. For we walk by faith. By faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the tangibility. Remember? I said in order to trust, you have to have something to hold on to that gives you confidence. That's why Paul says don't throw it away. That confidence when it comes to that realm is what faith does, provides that confidence. It provides the same level of confidence as this realm does for the things you can see.